0: This is almost an example I mentioned earlier, where it's you know they kind they kind of took over a mountain no one else really knew they wanted, and you built a really nice cash generative business on top of that. And then, as long as management makes good capital allocation uh, choices with the cash they generate, you can start getting some pretty decent uh, some pretty
1: decent returns. I'm Chris Hill, and that's Jim Gillies from Motley Fool Canada. Ricky Mulvey caught up with Jim and his colleague Ian Butler to talk about companies with unusual moats. Some competitive advantages are well-known, but let's face it, some economic moats just aren't that obvious, like utility poles, engineering software, even gentlemen's clubs. In this episode, Jim and Ian talk about what makes something a moat and the metrics that can reveal a true competitive advantage.
2: There's a lot of ways that a company can create a moat, but I, I think that's really what it comes down to. It's just your ability to s- sustain a competitive advantage over a long period of time. Is there is there any other fancy definition or, or way of describing it in your mind?
0: One that I like to to refer to, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's ever been really, you know, in the textbooks doesn't get equated to moats. Um, companies that go after industries that nobody else wants. I think we've got a few a few examples of that planned for you today, but you know it's you know it's it's uh, you you took control of a mountain no one else knew they wanted, and then kind of at the at the end of the day you kind of realize oh this company controls this subspace and it doesn't have to be something terribly you know exciting and sexy like you know internet security or sometimes you can find it in some pretty weird little. Niche places that no one else realizes was a great opportunity. Except one or two companies basically
2: go in and and, and uh, seal it up for themselves. Let's we're we're going to get weird in a little bit. And <laughs> I remember, Jim, I remember in in some previous conversations about um, franchise businesses, your personal fave. You've said that like you're okay paying a higher multiple on a on a franchise business for uh, because you know that it's 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 a reliable check cashing machine. Mm-hmm. Um, how does a moat fit in your investing framework, and, and do you ever find yourself saying, you know what, it might be worth paying for this overvalued company on other metrics because it has such a wide moat? Well, one of the best things
0: you can find, of course, if you can find one of those, you know, widening or nascent or super wide moats, if you can find that for the bargain price, that's the uh, that's the holy grail. But yeah, I'm I'm fine. One of one of the symptoms of a moat company for me is they can generally have pretty uh, pretty good carp launch and raising their prices, controlling their prices. Uh, we talked briefly before the show. Uh, one example that I have uh, is a private company I know, uh, but they 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 can charge pretty much whatever they want because their customers, when they when they talk to their customers, there's something like 0.001 percent of the typical company operating budget. So so no one's going to care, right? They're just going to like, oh, if, if 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 the supplier company decides to double or triple their price. The customers don't really notice, um, and so what ends up happening is moated companies, if I can use that as a word, moated companies tend to have pretty good pricing power. Uh, they tend to be very good cash generators, and then you hope they're good capital allocators of the cash they generate.
3: And, and I think to, tr- to build a valuation case, and I'm, I'm just trying to think through some examples that, that I've experienced over the past. I think you really have to get into the small cap world to find a valuation case when it comes to a moat, um, as opposed to these mega cap companies certainly have moats, but. Mm. Valuation outside of like crisis times in the market is is hardly is rarely ever a a reason to buy those companies. Autodesk is one that comes to mind. It's it's a recommendation that we made in Stock Advisor Canada. It's it's across it's it's several services across Fooldom. I wouldn't say there's a valuation case for Autodesk, but I would say that there's an incredibly strong moat associated with Autodesk, um, which. I think in that case um, can sort of overcome the val- any valuation concerns that one might have.
2: Yeah, just for some context, that's the one that a lot of like engineers use, where, where if you're building out a, if you're building out a building and you want to make sure that your electrical engineers and your plumbing folks are operating on the same system. What Jim Gillies? What as, as uh, this, uh, this is my engineering ring as my uh, as, as the former engineer
0: on the panel. Let me tell you that the AutoCAD moat is very very real. It is basically. Yeah. All you learn to do, and if you want to have portability from one job to another in the engineering space, it's all Autodesk, it's all AutoCAD.
2: It's it's difficult for the for the listeners to see. Sorry, the, I was the, just, I, I just saw you <laughs> sticking a finger up at me, and, and luckily not that it was your pinky, not that and not the other one.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, you American types a, don't wear engineering rings, uh, but it, it, no, we don't. in Canada, the engineers, it's it's. It's a supposedly solemn ceremony where we all you know and there's a Rudyard Kipling poem and it's a big it's it's less serious than they make it out to be when you realize when you go in but it's still fairly it, and, it, and it's it's supposed to be a commitment that engineers will not pass shoddy work will do the best for the public blah 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 so
2: well I want to talk about some obvious modes because there's some some, some intro folks out there and I think it's a good way of illustrating that um, how, how a company built becomes essentially a mega cap or a larger cap company by just building either a a huge, like a, a balance sheet up or just a vertically integrated system. Like, when I think of an obvious mode of, of a company you know, I, I think I, I would actually go to Live Nation. Um, they own Ticketmaster, they own the venues, they manage the ticket sales, they, uh, they manage the artists. So, if Jim Gillies, you want to see Death Cab for Cutie. It's a very important band. It's not like it's easily substitutable for another jam band like Goose or the Dead and Company. You want to see Death Cab for <laughs> Cutie. You're going through Live Nation. I am going, um, and I have recently twice, yes. <laughs> and then to your earlier point, Ian, though it's something you're going to pay for. I think right now they're 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 uh, the, the stock's trading at about a hundred times earnings or something like that. So when you think of obvious modes, I know you got one on here, Ian. So I'll start with you. What what is an obvious? Just an obvious. Fastball straight down the middle moat that you can think of.
3: So the the company that comes that pops right into mind is only a company that I've come to know over the past year or so. so. So I suspect that if if indeed we have some relatively new investors listening, they will not have heard of it. Uh, it's a big company. I don't have the market cap up handy right now. Uh, Dutch company by the na- name of ASML. And ASML essentially is the ground floor in the entire global semiconductor industry. They make the machines that go into the manufacturers of semiconductors and thereby manufacture semiconductors. Um, So, Intel is a client, Taiwan Semiconductor is a client. All, all All these massive semiconductor companies are reliant on the machines that ASML Uh, makes. and and They have such a lead in technology. That lead is expanding as each new generation of machine comes out. These are hugely expensive machines. I I think they're nine-figure machines for one. They sell like 30 machines in a year or something like that. and there's just it's it's really really hard to imagine anyone. I don't even think anybody's even trying to compete with them. They're 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 that, they're that far ahead, and the capital is that intensive uh, that that it just doesn't make sense to compete with them. So, that that's that's been a company that I've learned about again in the past couple of years that it has just blown me away at at its competitive strength and the depth of the moat there.
2: All right, let's move let's move to some less obvious ones. I want to talk about pool equipment. You guys countered with with rail ties and compressed wood. This is a company that makes utility poles, which is a product that is quite literally grown on trees. We're talking about Stella Jones. Why is Stella Jones a company with a hidden moat?
0: Well, it starts, yeah, if you want me to take the first kick at it, it's it's a company that both he and I have recommended on our respective services in Canada. Uh, So, if nothing else, we uh, apparently like... uh, Railway ties and utility poles, which of course are there, and talking our own. Yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, but seriously, you know, you, you get railway ties and utility poles. How excited are you, right? Or what? What, did, what do you call? I think Ian calls them the the national tree of Manitoba or something like that. The, the utility pole. <laughs>
3: yeah, somebody once called <laughs> driving through Nevada on a mining trip once. That's what they. Uh, that's what was pointed out. The telephone pole was the
0: national tree of Nevada or the, the state, state tree, tree of Nevada. Of Nevada. Um, but it, it, it's it's. It's a moat for for similar reasons to what I discussed earlier, where the the dollar value of what they're putting in for railways, uh, railway railroads are massive, um, massive capital intensive businesses. That's part of why Buffett, you know, went and bought a railway for Berkshire Hathaway because you know it's you know we want to be able to reinvest uh, tremendous amounts of capital at ideally high rates of return. Um, the, but you know, to maintain these networks, these massive networks, is a lot of money per year. And 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 the compressed wood, the creosote-soaked railway ties are you know they're they've they've been what pretty much the same since the 1800s. You know, uh, you know this is not. I mean, I know there's concrete railway ties as well, but uh, you know the, these are fairly um, fairly simple, fairly localized. There's only a few companies that do this kind of stuff. Um, and Stella Jones is, happens to be, I believe, the largest one, certainly in North America. And uh, they are able to essentially pass along their cost plus, uh, you know, in inflationary environments. No one's going to bat an eyelash, the big, the big railway company is not going to buy bat an eyelash at what Stella Jones It's requiring to have them, so have them pay. So you essentially have—it's like the water chemistry example. Um, You know, Stella Jones can 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 put their push through their price increases, maybe a little bit more for their pain and suffering, and the the railway companies are just gonna. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That's fine. They're also not similarly going to. This is not, this is not a product that they're going to switch out for. You know, a, uh, a young upstart competitor in the creosote-soaked wood comes along and says, "Hey, we'll beat Stella Jones's prices by five percent." Yeah. This is not going to. It's it's not it's not going to go because you're not going to switch back and forth. They're just going to go no. Uh, Stella Jones is still kind of. You know, and then on the utility uh, on the utility side of things, quite often municipalities. Have multi-year contracts with Stella Jones to keep them supplied with, you know, with the state tree of Nevada. So um, I've always loved that line. Uh, so it, it's a it's a case of this is a company that you know they they've got products. This is an example, almost a little bit of uh, we're going to get to better examples, but this is almost an example I mentioned earlier where it's you know they kind, they kind of took over a mountain no one else really knew they wanted and you built a really nice cash generating business on top of that and then as long as management makes good capital allocation sk- uh, choices with the cash they generate you can start getting some pretty decent uh, some pretty decent
2: returns do do they have any like i've i've always seen utility poles as a commodity and to be honest i haven't really seen utility poles and thought much of them um, is this something that like th- there are comp- like are there any real competitors in the space or is this like is this a market share leader that has just Completely claimed the mountain you just described.
3: I think any any competitors that are out there are minuscule in in relation. Uh, they they are they are sort of the big dog in the uh, in the pound. Yeah, we've thing. got
0: a we've got a member of a couple of fool services who uh, we we know because we've interacted a couple of times on Twitter, and he does work for a competitor of. One of like basically, you know, to go out and harvest the trees. He he he's in the tree harvesting business, but for a competitor of Stella Jones, and and uh, he has only said in our brief conversations, he's only had positive things to say about Stella Jones, and remarked on uh, they're they're a hard company to compete against.
2: This is also a company though where growth is. Fairly predictable. They they can project their revenue pretty well. I would I would assume, um, but it's also a case where the company's valuation has gotten ahead of itself before. So for, for for the old retail folks, what are the what are the metrics to really watch with this company to make sure they're not they're not paying too much for for their utility poles?
3: I think that's what's historically. I mean, so it was one of the best performing stocks in the Canadian market up until sort of a few few years ago, when it's when it's kind of flatlined a bit. And that's right, the multiple, the multiple has historically been very high. Um, It's not high now, and it hasn't been high for a couple of years. So I I think. I think at worst, if you just can get this company for its growth prospects alone for sort of consistent, as you say, predictable uh, revenue stream uh, growing with inflation and, and whatever else, any contract contractual uh, increases it can make, um, great. But I, I think there's a case right now, especially when there's where there's potential multiple expansion involved, like historically, it's sort of been a bit of 20, 25 times earnings type company. And, and here we are sort of half that. Um, so I, I think there's a good Total return equation in play right now. I, I think, and it's one too, where you could probably let it go when it does get more fairly valued. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a buy and hold forever uh, type of situation, despite its competitive positioning.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, to build on that, the valuation I think is really something you want to watch for for this Modi company, um, and I think people should be aware of that. Uh, you know, they they were a really. They were, you know, doing very, very well in on the Toronto Stock Exchange, and they kept on touting that, even though it kind of stopped after about twenty fifteen. The, the stock got very. Um, uh, it, it, everybody thought it was you know, so. The company itself will put out a, a press release or, a, or or a slide deck showing how oh they would beaten the market, they beat the S and P five hundred, they beat the captain Industrial Index and the S and Um and then you kind of look at their, how they did it. And it's like, well, but you ch- thats a ten-year chart. This was actually a nine-year chart when I was looking at it about a year ago. Uh, and if you kind of lopped off the first two years, all of a sudden, Stella Jones went from a market to smasher to. I think from about March of 2015 through to the end of 2021, I think its annualized return was about 0.7 percent. Because to Ian's point, they had gotten uh, out ahead of their skis valuation-wise. They they really kind of um, they become this darling, and so people kind of forgot about them, and and the stock meandered down. And so when we were looking at them and 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 recommended them, I I can't I don't remember what Ian you put them into Stock Advisor at. But by the time we came along to them, and I think we went first in gems, if I'm not mistaken. But but you know, Ian has talked about you know 25 times earnings was kind of where these were hovering. By the time we came along to them, I think we were about 11 times earnings, so we got at a much better price. And then, as Ian says, we're looking for multiple expansions. So not only are they growing earnings and growing revenues and growing cash flows and paying you a higher dividend and buying back stock. But maybe if they ever go back to that 25 times multiple, we're going to get you know 100, 150 percent return on our cost basis just from the multiple expansion. Forget about the business growth. And in you know that maybe doesn't sound great if you go back and look at the 2020, 2020, early 2021 you know kind of growth stock frenzy. But historically, you know that was that's the aberration, and the market we know grows 10, 11 percent annualized with dividends reinvested. this suddenly becomes a very good argument for buying Stella Jones at roughly the present valuation level.
2: Next company could not be could not be more different. This is a company that operates a chain of strip clubs, nightclubs, sports bars, and restaurants. It's also a media and convention co- company that serves the adult club industry. It's RCI Hospitality, formerly known as Rick's Cabaret. Jim, when you, when you presented this. First of all, I had to make sure it was okay for us to talk about on the show. But second of all, when you presented this, I, I understand how this is business is profitable, but what I don't understand with, with RCI Hospitality is, is how it has a, a moat when it has quite a few competitors.
0: I'm going to suggest to you not only does it have a moat, it's got multiple moats. And and I yeah I, I mean I and I, I do thank you for kind of running it through the proper channels because it it's a legal business but I obviously understand that there could be um, disparate opinions about this type of business and so of course you know just no one has to own anything they're not personally morally comfortable with of course but um, in my particular town where I live in southern Ontario there is one approved location for this type of business okay uh, it's and it's actually housed it's not it's not owned by RCI but i'm going to get to why it, i mean get to why it applies to RCI here it is owned by a, an individual it's in a historically significant house for this town where i live okay it's actually in a heritage building and for the last two decades, they've said to the city, "We want to move out to more to the, uh, to like you know the industrial ends of town kind of thing, and we would sell you the business and or sell you the the building." And the city says, "We have grandfathered in. There will be no more of these types of businesses approved in this in this town." So nothing has happened, and the place is still where it has been for decades. That's a kind of moat, okay? Literally. If they close or move that service, will be gone from the city, and that's kind of what's going on for RCI. They quite often only they own the only approved, allowed, um, grandfathered in locale for gentlemen's Enter- entertainment club kind of thing. Strip club sounds so sorted. Um, and so. They literally have a a localized government-granted and enforced moat. They don't have to go out and advertise and try to, uh, you know, beat back the competition coming in and setting up across the street from them or across the like. They're kind of legislated in, and so what ends up happening? A lot of these things have also been uh, sole proprietorships, and. RCI is going in and buying up the sole proprietorships or, you know, like individual businesses. They're buying them up at relatively low valuations because it's another example of it's a mountain no one else realized they wanted. They're buying it three, four, and five times EBITDA when they take over someone looking to sell one of these locales. They go in, they pay a lo- relatively low valuation, and they're grandfathered in. So again, whether you agree with the business model or not, and I certainly can see the arguments on both sides, to be honest with you, um, there is some value in a government, a localized government-granted moat, and you know uh, one of the arguments, one of the the best-performing stocks in North America in the past 75 years is Altria, aka Philip Morris, aka the Marlboro cigarette people. Okay, and one of the reasons why it's been so successful is has been the tremendous external pressure against owning companies like that. So it's kept it at a low valuation. That company as well. I mean, you know, they don't, they don't have to advertise cigarettes anymore. You know, they you know, don't have a lot of R and D budget. Uh, you know, they, they make a ton of cash. They pay a ton of taxes. They make a ton of cash, and they, they roll that cash continually into raising their dividend and buying back shares. And they do so at a really low valuation because of the external pressure. And that's sort of what's kind I mean, what's unsaid here is is since we started looking at uh, RCI hospitality about two and a half years ago, I think the stock's a seven bagger. Okay. Because that, that's the that same kind of principle coming forward here is is they I, I said to Ian in the past, this is probably, even though, given the controversial nature of the business, it's probably not one we want to recommend. But you know, it's. I think it's worth looking at for people who, who don't mind the morality of the business. I think it's worth looking at because I kind of hold RCI Hospitality as it's probably got one of the best and most comprehensive, well thought out plans for delivering their free cash flow. What they're going to do with their cash in their whole capital allocation, uh, you know, stack. So, you know, at this price, we're going to seek, uh, you know, tuck-in acquisitions. At this price, we're going to seek uh, dividends and dividend hikes, maybe a special dividend. At this price, we want to be looking to buy back shares. And I think they've done really, really well. And the CEO is known as a—he uh, was a big fan of the book uh, uh, *The Outsiders*, which is all about you know capital allocation and you know rock star companies that have done well with it. And he kind of, you know, he read that about five or six years ago, and I think he kind of embraced it as how he wants to run RCI Hospitality. And so again, you're kind of focused with there's a lot of real good positives that we would like with a lot with a lot of stocks in the Foolish Universe. But there is that kind of business that maybe no one else wants. And so you kind of go, that's a, that's an interesting combination to me.
2: It's a company you want to ask questions about. And uh, Glassdoor ratings are always something that can be juiced and you want to look uh, with a more critical eye, especially for, for smaller-cap companies. 94% of employees would recommend working there to a friend. So, if, if this is your space, it, it sounds like um, it, it has an incredibly high employee score, I would say. Let's move on to some final questions. I think the thing about moats, and we were talking about this earlier with some companies, is is they can end up being stocks that you own but don't really pay attention to, and that's exactly the case with a company like Pool Corp, which is not selling pool supplies to consumers, but rather businesses, and it's it's not a stock I own, but it's twenty times larger than its its second competitor, and that would give it, I would say, a pretty strong moat in a space that in a hill that not too many people else are at or on.
0: Yeah, uh, and it's definitely. Uh, I think I said before. I, I actually own it, and yeah, I couldn't tell you the last time I went and looked at their filings, uh, just because it's not one that I worry too much about. I, I would encourage people who are interested in in Pool Corp, go have a look at their historical returns, how they've done in terms of you know returns on capital, and then what they've delivered to shareholders. It's been to long term shareholders. Again, this is not a this is not something that you should be jumping in and out of. I think. Yeah,
3: and and, I, and actually, you just you just raised a question that I threw into our notes ahead of. Uh, do either of you sort of key on a specific metric to sort of provide some indication that a, a moat might be present? Is there is there any is there any one number that you sort of look to and go, hmm, this, this is an interesting competitive situation
2: potentially? I'm I'm honored you asked me, but I have no idea, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna punt this to Jim. And I'm going to say no. Disappointingly, <laughs> yeah. I, I just—I'm I, I, so
3: a cash flow I, guy, I, right? I, so I
0: just look at cash. I,
3: th- I think that's the answer. The, the two that came to mind when I was asking myself that question, <laughs> as, as I was looking at some of these uh, companies that we threw out into the air, I, I think an improving margin is one, an improving operating margin. Um, it indicates pricing power potentially and ability to sort of um, get get more out of your customers and what you're having to put into the, the cost wise. Uh, I wonder about return on equity as well. like A high return on equity might be an uh, might be an indication that there's there's a yeah maybe more return on capital play. because
0: it's, yeah, especially in a world where we've seen a lot of companies kind of blow up their balance sheets with but with buybacks and yet that's going to that's going to keep your equity account low and it's going to float your ROE higher so. More of a maybe more of a return capital thing, I, I would argue for. But it's but it is
3: it is there's very much I, I think that I think maybe the message then is it's a mosaic approach. Yeah. There's there's no real like one, one like thing that we that any of us are going to point to and go boom moat.
0: It's it's like you got to
3: kind of understand the yeah. business and the dynamics I, I behind I love the
0: I love the mosaic approach analogy. That's uh, very 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 Charlie Munger of you. I think that's uh, that's
1: where I first heard that one. I think that's great.